pushed to the playoff brink. Hello again, everybody. Uh, this is Tom Reed, joined by Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari, and you are listening to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. We will be joined a little bit later by the voice, radio voice of the Islanders, Chris King. And the next time these te- two teams meet on Long Island on Wednesday night, the Penguins will be fighting for their playoff lives after a stunning 3-2 double overtime defeat at PPG Paints Arena in a game where the contrasting ending for the two goaltenders could not have been more stark. Uh, Dave, let's start with you. What is your headline coming out of this game? Well, it as you suggested, it has to be the uh, the different nights had by the uh, the two goaltenders. Uh, Ilya Sorokin of the Islanders, with his 48 saves, is the reason that the game wasn't settled in regulation uh, with a comfortable Penguins victory and the uh, ghastly giveaway by. Tristan Jari in the first minute of the second overtime is the, is the reason that the game ended so abruptly at that point. So yeah, this uh, really was a tale of two goaltenders. Uh, Taylor, before I ask you about your headline, I, I just, I just, just to take fans down memory lane, I don't recall a better goaltending performance uh, by an opponent in a win in Pittsburgh since John Van Beesbrook won that game seven back in 96 where pucks he, he was making saves i don't think he even saw taylor it looked a lot like that to me tonight what did you see yeah i mean it's just like the way you described it um uh, all the islanders and you know trots you know they raved about his performance i think uh you know trots was asked about his performance it was like the second question and he said like any word you like you want to to, to print like that's <laughs> that's how i would describe him uh he called him outstanding and I mean, you say, you know, stopping things you didn't even see. I mean, what we saw that in overtime, we were just talking off the air. Um, like uh, the Freddie Gaudreau deflection in overtime. Oh like that was, you know, one of the better chances they had throughout the game. Uh, and, you know, and he just got a pad on it. And uh, Yeah, he was, he was incredible. Um, yeah. And that's what they needed. Dave, I mean, we, all of us, we, we get into this business. We were fans first of some, of some teams. Uh, somewhere along the line. And I can just sympathize with Penguin fans tonight because going to bed, there are nights when your team doesn't play very well as they did not play very well on the Island in, in game, in game four of the four, one loss where you say, well, we got what we deserved. I don't think anyone in the Pittsburgh locker room or the fandom thinks that they got what they deserved in game five. Uh, no, I think that's a that's a reasonable uh, conclusion. Certainly, if this were a uh, prize fight, I think it would have been scored pretty heavily in the Penguins' favor. You know, they outshot uh, the cap or the uh, uh, the Islanders. Islanders almost two to one, uh, and that was a pretty fair reflection of the uh, the overall play. Um, they did just about everything that that they could have reasonably expected that they would need to do to win this game. Uh, So, you know, it's, uh, 
it will be interesting to see if they can rebound from it. Uh, I actually asked Brian Rust about that after the game, and he said that the essentially that the details of a defeat don't matter. That you know this game might as well have been ten nothing. That you know a loss is a loss. But I have to believe that uh, this really is a uh, a gut punch for them to uh, have played so well and for so long, and you know have nothing but a really stinging defeat to show for it. And on Taylor Haas's birthday, no less, twenty seven <laughs> years old. Uh, happy birthday to you, Taylor! But uh, in your young in your young days in covering hockey, and you've been covering hockey for a while now, can you recall a goalie man beat they give up bad goals all the time? We we see it all the time. We've seen it for years. But do you recall a goaltender? And I think Dave used this word, and it's the perfect word: a bigger gaff in a playoff game. And to set it up, please please set it up for for people that haven't seen it yet. What happened, and maybe what I know he didn't speak after the game, but what what uh, Jari might have been thinking when he tries to cl- uh, make a play on the puck? Well, I mean, to start, I mean, one of Jari's biggest strengths is being able to play the puck um, the way he does. Uh, and I mean, the Penguins have praised that before. And so he, he comes out and he goes to play the puck now. There are, I can't remember which penguins that skaters there were, but I mean, there are two wide open penguins on either side of him, um, uh, on either side, you know, along the boards. And I don't know what he was doing, if he was trying to, you know, get the puck further up. He was trying to get the puck further up ice um, than, you know, how those guys were a little too deep in the, uh, in the penguin zone. He was trying to get the puck further up ice, and he just puts it, he just gets it right to Josh Bailey, and then Josh Bailey buries it. I mean, ba- uh, Bailey... Uh, was asked about what the goal after the game. He kind of downplayed it, and he just, you know, so like I, I got a da- bouncing puck, tried to try to settle it, and um, he didn't get it even totally settled. He just took the, sh- the shot and went in. But um, I mean, as a bigger gaff by a goaltender in the playoffs, I, um, I mean, none come to mind. At least none that ended up being the difference maker. Um, if there were, you know, bigger ones that didn't decide the game, we probably don't remember them because they didn't have as big of an impact. But I mean, the, the impact this one had to, you know, that lost the game, and then now they're on the brink of elimination. And I mean, the, what the Penguins said, uh, you know, Latang and Russ, so like it's not, it's uh, we win as a team, we lose as a team. This is a team game. It's not one guy's fault, but it's like as well as the Penguins played for in that way, um, it's just crushing. Dave, you are not 27 years old. <laughs> uh, uh, My socks are. Can you, I mean, can you recall a stranger ending to a game than, than that with, with a guy just trying to make a play that probably just wasn't there? Um, I, it, it's not a, a parallel situation, but there was an equally stunning end to an overtime game. And in fact, uh, a Penguins season in 1972 in their first round series against the Blackhawks, uh, when Tim Horton, the hall of fame defenseman, uh, put a puck into his own net. Um, I want to say it was 11 seconds into overtime, maybe Mm. seven seconds into overtime. Yeah. Um, to complete the uh, the Blackhawks sweep of that series, uh, you know the that that Chicago would win the series was not, you know, 
anything yeah, right. of a surprise. Uh, although the Penguins had been remarkably competitive against a vastly superior lineup in that one, but it was really shocking. I mean, Tim Horton's best days were behind him at that point, but he was still a pretty fair defenseman and to have him put the puck in his own net. <laughs> so early in overtime, um, that's that's the only thing uh, from from Penguin history that that jumps out to me as a uh, as a parallel to this. Yeah, you know what's what's odd about this Taylor is it's it's one of those of games in that 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 Jari for the for for more than half of the game, two thirds of the game, is sitting there doing very little of anything, watching mm-hmm. the guy on the other end make incredible circus save after circus save. And he's just kind of waiting for his chances. And to Jari's defense, I thought he played pretty well in the third period in overtime. He made a couple of big saves. And then it just to completely have it end like that. Taylor, this is now the second game where you can arguably say he cost his team a win. Yeah, well, he, he I think he faced a total of 28 shots um, off the top of my head. Which is, I mean, fine for a whole game, but I mean, the, this game went, uh, you know, in a whole extra period and you know, plus the extra, a, a minute. Um, so he really wasn't busy the whole game. Sullivan, you know, did say after, no one's going to bury Jari after the game, but Sullivan did yeah, say, you sure. know, like, um, he had a lot of praise for him. He said, you know, I thought he had a heck of a game up until that point. Um, I tweeted that quote and like the first reply was like, you know, the Titanic had a heck of a cruise until the iceberg. Yeah. yeah. Um, (laughs) Like, uh, I mean, it's just, it's, and you say, you know, you know, these two games, he cost them the game, but also uh, what, what, what are they going to do? You know, Sullivan says, you know, they're going to rally around him. They have to, because the Smith hasn't even started skating yet. Um, Yeah. You're not going to try like a saying So like, he's really all they have. It's not like the Islanders where they really do have two very capable goaltenders as bad as, uh, you know, Varamov was, but um, they have no choice but to rally around him. But I mean, just yeah, these, like you said, those two games now, uh, not great. Yeah. You, you, you provide a perfect segue to my next question for both of you guys. It'll start with Dave. Dave, I mean, uh, you know, one of the, the storylines coming out of game one in which Sorokin started, because Var, uh, Varlamov was kind of coming back from a bit of an injury, was who would play in game two? Well, Barry Trotz goes back to Varlamov for games two and games three. My question to you, if if he had stayed with Sorokin, is there a chance the series could have been over last night? Oh, I suppose it's possible, but, you know, that's that's a little bit too much of a hypothetical for me. Um, you know, who, who knows what, uh, what other repercussions there would have been from that move, you know, um, other side effects. So, you know, there, there's no question that, that Sorokin has played, uh, much better in this series than Varlamov has, but I, you know, I don't know that the Penguins would be in any worse position now, um, than than they are with with the way things have uh, played out to this point. Taylor, jump in there. Yeah, I mean it's tough to say because the games have been so close, and um, that early goal Varlamov gave up with the rust one. Uh, you know, if he hadn't done that, 
it could, the series might not be where we are right now. Um, so I don't know if it's sim as simple to say, you know, like if they just talk with Soroka and that, you know, things would, uh, you know, the Penguins would be ahead or, you know, maybe this would be done with, but uh, yeah, it just, it's just tough. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on. I, let's, let's switch gears here a little bit to the Islanders. When, when you think of Islander hockey, you, you, you think of kind of game four as the blueprint. You think of just the only way they're going to win is through their sweat glands. They are going to forecheck like demons, uh, just make life miserable uh, for the opposition, in this case, the Penguins. None of that happened tonight. Dave, do you re recall a game where, where, where an opponent was so opportunistic uh, in the game, and, and I'm especially thinking of the second goal. The first goal, I thought Latang maybe pinched early, and then Beauvillier makes an unbelievable play. He recognizes that Jake Gensel is back. Beautiful goal. The second goal is absolutely out of nowhere. I mean, the Islanders have 14 shots with 12 minutes left in regulation, and Pajot with a hit on Dumoulin forces the turnover. Uh, they get the puck to Eberly. He scores. And then the gift goal at the end, I mean, my goodness, were they opportunistic tonight. Yeah. Um, it's certainly that, you know, that's an admirable quality in a team to, uh, to make the most of the opportunities that it gets. Uh, that second goal, you kind of feel badly for, uh, for Dumoulin because I thought he had been having a really oh. strong game yeah. to that point. And, uh, to have it go sour for him, you know, in a matter of a second or two, the way it did, uh, was unfortunate. But hey, that's that's hockey. Hey, that's a good um, play by Pajot. I mean, absolutely. You, people can get on Dumoulin. I, yeah, and we're look, we're talking here. I, I feel terrible for Tristan Jari, and and as 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 Taylor mentioned, people are going to kill him on social media. And yeah, but man, let's let's. Try to be sensible here, and the same with Dumoulin. I mean, that's a really good hit by Pajot that that sets up the, the sequence that leads to the tying goal. Dave, like you always like to say, both teams are on scholarship. Uh, it's just a really good play. Taylor, I mean, but it was a night where the Islanders didn't have a whole lot going for them, and they walk out of their 3-2 winners. Yeah, and that's kind of you know what I'm focusing in on in my story is that so the message from the Penguins after the game was, you know, we thought we played a really good game. <clears throat> Otherwise, you know, if we keep playing this game, uh, you know, we think we'll have the better result, you know, next game. The Islanders were, uh, the message was, you know, they didn't think they played uh, very well, um, but they still came out with the win. I mean, Barry Tross, he said, um, he called it a really gutsy win. He said, you know, you find a way to win when you're not at your best. Um <sighs> I guess you can call that finding a way to win at the end. Oh. I mean, they capitalized. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the Islanders still think they have another gear um, to, you know, get back into yeah. play Islander hockey, you know, next game, um, which is, uh, you know, con con concerning. Um, yeah, the, the the Brits have a term for it. They call this a smash and grab job, and that's that's pretty much what it was tonight for the Islanders. And, Obviously, they owe a lot of it to their goalie. Uh, we're going to take a break here on the 66 to 87 podcast. As we said uh, later in the show, we will have a taped interview with uh, Chris King. He's the voice of the New York Islanders. They're on the radio side. And we'll be back with our second segment, focusing more 
on what comes next in game six. Please stay with us. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Uh, we, As I mentioned earlier, we will be joined a little bit later by Chris King, the radio voice of the Islanders. And uh, now, I mean, the Penguins have to kind of put this behind them. Uh, Dave, this is a veteran team. A lot of these guys have won a couple of cups. They are used to the highs and lows of playoff hockey. Uh, but how do the Penguins regroup after such a, to use your term, gut punch? Uh, I'm frankly not sure that they will be able to. I think it, you know, this has to be extremely demoralizing for them to, to lose a game the way they did Monday night, you know, to play so well and get absolutely nothing to show for it. Um, you know, they, uh, they could certainly surprise us, uh, but, uh, you know, I I really think that everything is uh, going to be tilted in the Islanders' favor Wednesday night for them for them to uh, be in position to close out the series. Uh, Taylor, uh, I'll try to put a little bit more glass half uh, full here. Uh, they did a lot of great things uh, Monday night in that game. We we mentioned the the shot disparity, just the just the shots themselves are like. You know, all shots were like 85 to 47, something like that. Something crazy like that. Do, do the Penguins just try to, with Sidney Crosby, the leader, just say, look, let's, if we play the same game we just played, we can get out of here and come back home uh, down just one in the series. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that Latang said that, Russ said that. They both spoke, um, the only players that spoke after uh, game five. And that was kind of the message, you know, that, uh, if they just stick to their game, they'll come out with a better result. Um, that, like going back to game four, um, uh, when the Penguins lost in New York, like Matt Barzali said after the game, he said, you know, like they have such a veteran group over there. They've probably already forgotten about this loss. Um, so the Islanders, I think, are kind of expecting that too. But uh, I don't know. I just like we talked about last segment, you know, the Penguins, they played a really good game. The Islanders really did not. And it was still, you know, that close. So uh, they're going to still have to be opportunistic and, uh, you know, take what they can because uh, playing as well as they did and the Islanders, uh, you know, not being on top of their game, it still took um, an overtime and an, and an extra minute uh, to, to come out with the win for them. Yeah, I, and Taylor, I know you 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 follow the underlying numbers and the analytics a lot. I, I can't even imagine what <laughs> what the heat charts look like from this game tonight. Yeah, I look good. <laughs> I mean, you, you you I mean, you have to think they're just saying, boys, we just need to get a little puck luck. We need to get well, something something to bounce in off a skate or something uh, uh, to get a to get an early goal and get us going again. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the underlying numbers. The underlying numbers, you know, the series are it's something that kind of you know gives you. Hope because what the Penguins top line at five on five really hasn't uh, produced a whole lot. But you look at the underlying numbers. Um, the top line they're getting they're they're getting a higher rate of um, shot attempts, high danger shot attempts, uh, scoring chances. Pretty much every single you know offensive 
category. They're getting a better rate than they were in the regular season at five on five, but they're just not going in. Like, I think like um, the on ice shooting percentage uh, when the top line was on the ice in the regular season, it was like nine something percent. And then um, it, it, it entered, I don't know what it is after uh, game five, but entering game five, it was a 4.88%. Like, so like kind of about half. Um so that kind of leads you to believe, like, okay, like, eventually they're, these are going to have to start going in uh, because, you know, they're getting the chances. The chances are there. But uh, I don't know. But, I mean, the way Sorokin is playing, I mean, that kind of does explain at least some of the disparity in the, in the on-ice shooting percentages um, in the underlying numbers. Dave, we saw, we saw Chris, Tristan Jari uh, rebound from what is a the usual type of rough game in game one. Um, we know, unlike some of these other series where where coaches are jockeying back and forth with goalies, uh, we we're pretty sure that it's going to be Tristan Jari again. Can he rebound again? Can he bounce back and have a solid game in in Game Six on Long Island? Uh yeah. I mean, I I think it's it's certainly not out of the question. He seems to have a pretty good mentality in that regard for not dwelling on things that uh, that have gone wrong, uh, you know, kind of the uh, defensive back mentality where you forget yeah. about the the touchdown pass you just gave up and you worry about defending the next pass. Um, so, you know, it, it certainly is conceivable to me that, that Jari will, will bounce back, but, you know, this is about his... <laughs> as tough of a circumstance uh, from which a goalie could try to rebound that, that I can imagine. Yeah, it's, it was just it was just an, it's an it's an aggressive mistake. It, it was a one of those unforced aggressive errors where he tried to make a play uh, where you just you eat it, you just give it to one of your guys who were who were down there, and you 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 move on. But we'll see. I mean, it's a Huge test. It's going to be a huge test of character for him. Uh, moving on, uh, you know, one of the storylines here late in the season and now in the playoffs, it's just so wonderful to have fans back into the, in, in the stands. And it's so odd to watch still. The, now, after we've watched these games here in the United States, these great playoff games here in the first couple weeks here of the playoffs, and then you watch in Canada where they're still – piping in noise and there's nothing. But I thought last night was one of those interesting situations where when, when the Islanders make it 2-2, and I, I want to ask you guys' opinion, you were there, you were in the building. I, I could almost feel the tension uh, when it goes 2-2, where, where the, the, their team, has, the Penguins have played so well. Uh, did, it, did it feel that way to you guys? Did, could you feel the tension in the crowd once the Islanders kind of get back on level terms there? Uh, it's Taylor, start with you. Yeah, I mean, because especially what the goal that came late um, in the in the in the last minute of the period, you know, something like that, where like the crowd is buzzing to finish the period, and then you know, you you do kind of feel that drop off, um, just in the energy. I I don't know how much of a factor that was in, in you know like overtime, uh, especially because the overtime winner came um, yeah in the first minute, uh, but. Uh, it, yeah, I don't know. I thought the the highs you, you they got from the crowd, like the energy that you could feel when the crowd was, like, you know, yeah. when they had Najee Harris on the screen, like that level, um, maybe outweigh the the lows. Uh, but 
Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say. Dave, what was it like for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that obviously it's, uh, it's good to have fans back in the building. I, I think there was a, some sense of trepidation among the, uh, the fans when the Islanders got that second goal. Uh, if only because New York has been the better team in the, uh, in the third period in, you know, for most of the series. And I think to suddenly uh, have your second lead of the game disappear uh, against an opponent that has uh, been closing out games uh, pretty strong uh, for the past week. I, you know, I, I think it's only natural that that would uh, cause a little nervousness among the crowd. Yeah. And it seemed like after that, after it goes to, to, it was a pretty even game the rest of the way. Uh, the Islanders, that, that seemed to jolt the Islanders awake. The, the scoring chances seemed to be fairly even. And again, the, going back to Jari makes a couple of saves, at least to get it to the second overtime. Um, you know, naturally, a question, anytime you lose a playoff game, uh, are, would, there, would Mike Sullivan mull any lineup changes, Dave? But given how well they played, I mean, what would you change, if anything, as far as personnel? Uh, probably nothing, in, unless there's an injury involved. Uh, you know that that we're not aware of. I can't think of anybody who had a you know a terrible game that would merit, um, you know, sitting in in game six. <clears throat> and you know, I, I really don't think even if uh, Casey DeSmith. Uh, were healthy that they would make a goaltending change no. at this point. I mean, that's that's an awful lot. You know, they they tried that with with Jari last year. Actually, uh, right. They threw him in for the fourth game against uh, Montreal, and he uh, he actually played very well. I ended up losing, but you know, it's it's really not fair to the goaltender to you know drop him into the middle or the well into the second half of a series, especially when you, you know, when your team is facing elimination. Taylor, we talked about this off the air. I, I don't know one line that didn't play well tonight. Yeah. That's why I wouldn't make any changes. Um, I mean, talking about the forward lines, uh, the, you, we got scoring from, you know, top line at five on five, um, you know, rest goal that we, uh, you know, you didn't see before this is Malkin's, you know, best game since he's been back. Um, the third line had a lot of chances, you know, it was Carter and Gaudreau especially, and then the fourth line was just buzzing. So I, I wouldn't touch any of that. And um, nobody on the defense was especially bad, and uh, a couple of those guys had, you know, pretty good games. So, oh, Mike yeah, Matheson I, I thought was terrific. He was good. Pedersen had a couple of good chances. Like, yeah. you, you can't you know, point out any one of those, you know, guys and say they um, – you know, had like an overall bad game. Some guys had, you know, bad, just little moments. Um, uh, and then, yeah, same with, you know, the goaltending. Uh, even so, Casey Smith hasn't even been skating yet. Even if he were, uh, you can't just put him in. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, you're, you're not going to put in Legacy. So I, I don't think you make any changes to the lineup or even, you know, the combinations, the configurations. So, um one another player that I thought played extremely well tonight was Evgeny Malkin. 
has the power play goal uh, to open the scoring. And then I just thought made one of those incredible decisions where they are buzzing in the zone for, it seemed like 45 seconds. And he decides to take the puck out. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? And yet it ended up being a great decision because I think, I'm not sure if Russ comes off the bench, but it's just, he takes it out of the zone, gives the puck to, I believe it was Latang who goes right down the middle, moves the puck. Russ, Russ comes in off the wing or from the point. Great shot. Dave, your thoughts on Malkin's night tonight? Yeah, I, I mean, I it was his uh, best game since he came back. I, that, you know, that bar wasn't set terribly high, but uh, I think he cleared it pretty easily. And, you know, if you're, if you're looking for something to uh, give the Penguins, a, you know, a flicker of optimism for, uh, for game six, you know, it's that you have a, uh, a potential difference maker uh, who looked tonight like he actually could uh, fill that role and, and change the, uh, the course of a game. Uh, be it in game six or if, or if they get to a game seven. Your, uh, Taylor, your thoughts on Malkin's game? Yeah, I, I said, I mean, this was the best, you know, he's looked since he came back. Um, he had a couple of good chances. I think there may be times when it looked like he was, you know, trying to get, you know, too cute with his passes or his shots, which is not that unusual for him. Um, but yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, yeah, like he, that's an encouraging sign from him to, you know, because he didn't maybe look, um, you know, back to his self completely in his first game back. I think he only played like, you know, like 12 minutes his first game back. Um, and he's just been slowly getting back to his old self. So it uh, looks like he's back to his old self, which is good for next game. Yeah, this, this to me, it seems like the recipe uh, to get out of Long Island with a win in game six and force game seven, to me, would be the Penguins, the game that they won, they got a two-goal lead in. And with this Islander team, uh, you almost have to get a multiple goal lead to make them change the way they play. Because as long as it's a one goal game, they're going to just keep chopping wood and just hang around and hang around and and hope that they can they can make a play, which they did. Obviously, they made a couple of huge plays uh, on a night that Penguin fans aren't going to forget for a while, uh, unless, of course, they can salvage these last two games and move on we'll see but when we come back we will be joined by the radio voice of the new york islanders chris king Uh, so please stay with us here on the 66 to 87 podcast Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. And as promised, we are now being joined by the longtime voice of the New York radio voice, of the New York Islanders, Chris King. Chris, this is your 25th season? I believe 27th, but I may have lost track. <laughs> okay. All right. A, a while. You've been, you've been doing this a while. So that, that, that helps us here, especially with some of our early questions uh, that we want to ask you. Uh, as the series gets ready to head back uh, to Long Island for game six. Um, Chris, what has the combination of Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello brought to the Islanders here in the last couple of years that the, the franchise may have been missing in years past? Yeah, it's a great question, Tom. And uh, I actually have one really great way to 
illustrate what it has meant. It, it, first of all, it's, it's brought accountability, it's brought respect, it's brought predictability, it's brought character, it's brought, you know, a culture change, really. And the biggest way I can describe it to you what, you know, the results have been is in the 25 years prior to Lou and Barry arriving, the Islanders had won one playoff series, one. That was 2016 against the Florida Panthers. In the two years they've had Lou and Barry, they've already won four playoff series. Barry has been coach of the year. Lou has been GM of the year. And they've made the playoffs all three years. So if that doesn't show you the night and day difference between pre-Barry and Lou and post-Barry and Lou, then I don't know what does. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, on Sunday night, the Capitals eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, three consecutive years, which they've made the playoffs and have – been bounced in the first round. I'm wondering, were you surprised after the Caps win the Cup in 2018, a coach like Barry Trotz would become available uh, uh, on the open market, so to speak? And I, I'm assuming uh, the Islanders probably made the right move, just judging by your previous comments. Yeah, I was shocked. Absolutely shocked. I know the Caps, you know, had a tough decision to make at the time and they, you know, wanted that money, I guess, to go more towards players than coaches. But, you know, in retrospect, it really doesn't look like a good move with what's happened, uh, you know, for the Capitals since then and what's happened with the Islanders since then. And I do remember reading a story that Lou Lamarillo was so anxious to, to, to get Barry Trotz. He met him at the airport, literally. And I think that's <laughs> where, where they had their conversation that probably sealed the deal. So, um, you know how brilliant uh, a hockey mind Lou is and, you know, a Hall of Famer, and he's won those cups with the Devils for a reason, and he succeeded anywhere he went. But I think, you know, he realized right off the bat, if he had the chance to get Barry Trotz, who he had such great respect for, and obviously a hot commodity coming off a of Stanley Cup, then he was going to do anything he could to possibly make that happen, and he did just that. Chris, uh, Elias Sorokin, I mean, he won a championship in the KHL. Uh, how do you think that experience has helped him in, in these, you know, high-stakes NHL playoff games this season? Yeah, I think it's helped him a lot, Taylor. And, you know, if you look at it, uh, is he an NHL rookie? Yes, but he played eight years in the KHL and and really had no more left to accomplish there. He, uh, as you mentioned, you know, two years ago won the championship there. He was playoff MVP. He holds the all-time playoff record for shutouts in a career with 16 of those and, and again, was an all-star each of the last five years. So he really had nothing left to prove there. And now he wanted to take it to what everybody considers the best league in the world, the National Hockey League. And uh, you know, it was a terrific rookie season. They worked him along slowly. There were some bumps in the road early on, but I thought he got stronger, you know, down the stretch. He was particularly strong at Nassau Coliseum where he went nine and one on the year. And, uh, you know, I think he, he's really finding his way in this series and, and uh, he'll be a force as it closes out. And then uh, entering game five, I mean, what, what have the Islanders have done so effectively against Crosby, uh, you know, in the really the last two playoff series? Entering game five, he had what one goal and one assist in those eight games. Yeah, it's a great question, Taylor. And again, I think you bring up a good point in that it's not just this series. If you go back to the 2019 series when the Islanders swept the Pens, Sid didn't have anything in the first three games. That was the first time in his career that he had ever gone three straight games against the Islanders without picking up a point. He did have an assist in the fourth game uh, when the Isles swept. And so far, just that one goal uh, in game one of this series. So Barry talked about it today. Uh, you know, Trot said he really hasn't been intent on getting a particular forward line matchup against them, but he certainly tries to get that shutdown D pair of Adam Pellick and Ryan Pollock on them as much as he possibly can. And if you just look at the way he starts every game, once he knows that, you know, Sid's line is starting, it's immediately Casey Sezikis, Matt Martin, Cal Clutterbuck, that line that, you know, he calls the identity line for the Islanders to try to match up. 
Uh, Chris, it was <clears throat> pretty lively at the Coliseum for games three and four, especially considering that the, the place isn't able to be full yet. Um, and I suspect that game six won't be any different. Um, but how is the atmosphere there different from what it was like uh, at, at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn when, uh, when the Islanders were playing their games there? Yeah, it's a good question, Dave. You know, I, Brooklyn was just never the right fit for the Islanders. It just, you know, it was the Nets' home for basketball. It was never made, uh, you know, to host hockey. I know you were there, Dave, and uh, you had the one end where, you know, you, the, fo the fans behind one net literally couldn't see that net. So can you imagine going to a hockey game where you can't even see the full ice? Um, so it, it just never was made to be a hockey arena. To their credit, you know, the fans still came out. They supported the team. Uh, especially when the Stanley Cup playoffs arrived. And in that 2016 playoff series where they beat the Panthers, and that was their first playoff win in 23 years, it was extremely loud. But, but again, it just doesn't have that intimacy and the low ceiling and the, uh, you know, the great sight lines for hockey that the Nassau Coliseum has. So uh, it never was the right fit. Uh, I give credit to the Islanders for you know, kind of weaning themselves away from Brooklyn for two years. They kind of split home games between the two buildings, and then this year they were back to their old home. And, of course, next year they're going to have a brand-new building that's designed specifically for hockey and, and looks absolutely brilliant. It's uh, UBS Arena at Belmont Park right next to the racetrack. Uh, again, back on Long Island, which is the key, and not in Brooklyn anymore. Chris, we'll, uh, we'll get you out here on these questions. Uh, one of the things, and obviously you're, you're busy listening, you're doing your broadcast, but one of the things that came, came across loud and clear uh, the other day in game four was the uh, Josh Bailey chant. Uh, and uh, every crowd has its own unique type of uh, uh, fandom, I guess. But it's always struck me when I go there, it reminds me almost of a, there's a, there's a soccer element to, to the Islanders crowd. And I don't know, am I crazy in saying that? Or if so, where has that developed with the chants and the songs and stuff like that over the years? Yeah, it's a great question, Tom, and it is a little bit of everything. Uh, the first one that got big a couple of years ago started with a wrestler uh, that some of the, the crazy Islander fans in Section 329 love. They call themselves the Blue and Orange Army, and they just began doing this yes, yes, yes after the Islanders would score a goal. So that became a big, big thing a, a couple of seasons back. And, and then they do have those chants that are very similar to soccer. And then the Josh Bailey thing, it's just taken on a life of its own, and it's a song. It's an entire song where, you know, a song that was a, a minor hit has the lyrics reworked to, you know, talk about Josh Bailey and will you score a goal for us and, and all those type of things. And I think it really hit its peak during game four because they, uh, Josh scored and then immediately there was a broadcast timeout. So during that timeout, they played that song on the sound system and then everybody drowned it out with the Josh Bailey lyrics to, to the same song. And, and the real interesting thing to me, Tom, afterwards, uh, Barry Chops was asked about it. He said, that's the first time I ever heard the Josh Bailey song. And, you know, for me, this was incredible in two ways. Number one, they've been singing it for all three years that Barry's been behind <laughs> the bench. But you know what? Number two, that's what I want in a head coach. I want a head coach who's so locked in that he doesn't notice when, you know, 7,000 people are singing the same song about, you know, one of his players. So I kind of love that, you know, what that meant to Barry, uh, you know, blocking it out for three years and then finally realizing on Saturday afternoon, hey, you know what? They're singing about one of my players. <laughs> in, in The Godfather, uh, the original Godfather, and I'm dating myself, 
Michael Corleone is asked about Hyman Roth, and he says he's been dying of the same heart attack for 25 years. <laughs> Chris, is this really the end for the Coliseum? Because you can't kill the Coliseum; it keeps coming back. Uh, are, are the Islanders when they when they are either eliminated or raise the cup? Is this it finally for the Coliseum? I would say, Tom, this is it for the Stanley Cup playoffs at the Coliseum. As you said, we've all been down this road before. We had, you know, a closing ceremony in 2015 because they had a 25-year, quote-unquote, ironclad deal to go to Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Well, we all know how that one turned out. And what I will tell you about this is, again, I know this is the last Stanley Cup playoffs that will ever take place at the Coliseum. I guarantee you that. But... Because the new building is scheduled to open in November. That's the timeline right now, November. But yeah. to me, there's a huge difference between November 1st and November 30th when the NHL has said they want to start the new season in mid-October. If it starts November 1st, I think they've played their last game at the Coliseum. Islanders would spend two weeks on the road and then open their new building. If it opens November 30th, are the Islanders willing to spend six weeks on the road before playing a home game? Or do they do what, the, what I remember the Maple Leafs did back in, I think it was 98, 99, where they you know, spent a little time in Maple Leaf Gardens and then opened up the brand new building. And I remember it well because the Islanders played them twice, once in the old building and once in the new. So to me, it all comes down to when is UBS Arena ready to open? Early November, are the Islanders done at Nassau Coliseum? Yes. Late November, maybe not. Well, Dave will be there for game six, and he will. I'm sure he will be – Shedding a few tears for his 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 last trip to Long Island and the Coliseum, Chris. Thank you so much uh, for taking some time today, and uh, that is it for us today on the sixty six to eighty seven podcast for Chris King, Taylor Haas, and Dave Molinari. This is Tom Reed. We'll talk to you next time on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. 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 